welcome to Unidentified Wargamer. Each week I interview a wargamer and identify them in the hobby. This week I've got on with me the lovely Tony. How are you going, Tony? I'm good, thank you very much. Well, I see it's a nice sunny day there in England for you. It is for once, yeah, yeah, we're making the most of it. Oh, beautiful. In your, in your little hobby room with a ton of armies behind you, I see. Yeah, it's, uh, it's my little hobby shed. The wife says uh, they can't be in the house. They freak her out a bit. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure like, all your guests would love looking at them. Like, I know I've had people come by in the past and go, oh, what's that? It's a nice sort of conversation starter. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few bits and bobs down there, but um, yeah, most most of it lives here. There's quite a lot of it. I see a lot of destruction in there as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just, I just, uh, I paint the armies up. I very rarely sell them, to be honest. I always like to think, um, well, the game changes so often. You never know when, uh, so it, might, it might go out of favour, then they come back in again. It's like, do I want to paint the army again? Mm-hmm. Or I could just add a few more units to it and get straight back in. So I've done that with a few of them. Seems to be like me. I don't really want to sell any armies because you spend a lot of time and passion building them up and painting them. And to get your money's worth, just would this be impossible? And then if you ever want to come back to the army, well, then you've got to rebuy it or buy someone else's painted army or something like that. Oh, yeah, exactly. I've never enjoyed selling a mine. All mine just sits dead to the side there and I like looking at it, but... I know a lot of people buy and sell as like their hobby is buying the models, painting them up quickly and then selling them off later on. Um, but I don't enjoy that sort of style of hobby anyway. And I'm, by the looks of it, you don't either. <laughs> I, I like to do that as well. I just don't think I'm very successful at the selling them on part. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all very good at buying the models, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But by the looks of all the models you have there, you've been in the hobby for quite a while then. Um, yeah, I mean, I started when I was about 12. So, um, God, that's um, 25 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I did have a bit of a break at a couple of points. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is all from about 2016 onwards. I don't really have anything before that. Okay. So you've been smashing at the armies in the meantime. Probably about two a year, it looks like, from here. <laughs> um, um, yeah, about <laughs> maybe a couple more. Yeah. Oh, they look pretty brilliant from here anyway. A few of my favourites in the background there. Oh, yeah. Gets in the Skaven, biggest standouts for me. I mean, look, I, I say I don't sell them on. I actually sold about half of it off because. Um, oh, did you? When the well, AOS two had the um, hordes of battle line, and they were cheaper if you bought more of yep. them. So I, mm-hmm. I, I maximised on that. Um, and then yep. uh, the AOS three came out, and it's all just like minimum size unit. So it's like, yeah, so I got rid of the uh, over half the plague monks. Um, yeah, fair enough. Land rats, because you know you, I'm never going to field them. I don't think they'll go backwards on that decision. No, I don't think so either. But you're a man after my own heart with the horde style. Then I do fancy a good horde. Oh yeah, what did uh, what did you used to push around? Mine was pretty much uh, squig heavy gits uh, with a bit of uh, grots in there. I was slowly building up my grot force, uh, and then it was a bunch of plague monks and clan rats. Nice. And then it was 120 zombies. Oh, yeah, I've only got 80. Ah, rookie numbers. <laughs> rookie numbers. I'll pump it up. I've been putting the gas in there, though. Yep, yep, fair enough. Yeah, I haven't ran the gas. I run more of like Vordry and Manfred and stuff. And then I have got the one elite army, which is the um, the Ogamore tribes. So I've got a lot of cavalry and stone horns and stuff like that. Oh, you see, because I, I went hard on the more tribes. Oh, see, I tried to do that, but I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the big fat lads. I just like oh, the big fat lads riding monsters. No, 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 I went all little fat lads walking about. 
Oh, nice. Yep, they look awesome. <laughs> I see you got some gargants in there as well. Yes. Uh, oh. uh, the mega gargants all on uh, in a shop at the moment as oh, a yep. part of an advancement. So I, I try and do the commission painting as well. So I've put them in a shop window with the contact card. I mean, they're all sort of wading through the sea, so it's quite a nice uh, special effects and all around you getting to work with that sort of thing as well. So I like to try and um, do these weird sort of uh, things as well. I'll have to um, – you've got plenty of photos of, on your Twitter, don't you, of all your models? I'll try to, yeah. Sometimes I miss a few. I'll, I'll try and put some photos up so people can know what we're actually talking about here. <laughs> yeah, that, well, yeah, this is fantastic audio yeah. content. <laughs> I know how much people will love listening to uh, – things on video and, and then not being able to see any of it all. But um, I'll, I'll post plenty of photos so people can have a, a good look and then get a nice zoom in on all the wonderful effects and stuff like that. What do you think sort of draws you to the hobby? Are you a bit of the, uh, a competitive gamer? Are you a bit of more of a hobbyist? What's your main draw? You know what? I've, um, you know, I was one of those antisocial kids. Um, okay. I, just, I just like sitting in my room putting model kit, like the old air, like, do you have airfix over there? Uh, is that like more model kits? Like, yeah, Banks model kits, and planes and stuff. Yeah. yeah, 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 that sort of thing. And then, um, so I can't remember who it was. Someone just went, uh, got just got me some Warhammer. Oh, well, these are kind of cool. They're kind of, like, because uh, the the Mark Seven Marines looked a bit like Stormtroopers. Obviously, I painted them out of boy and started using them for Star Wars games. And uh, my mum figured out that she could just drop me at a local games workshop for four to six <laughs> hours on a Saturday and get rid of me. Yeah, that was fantastic. I mean, that was um. I mean, the, the stores have been through their own little um, like management things. So back back well, 25 years ago, it was um, the managers would put on a massive game every Saturday. Okay. And it was just like, right, 12 of you that side, 12 of you that side, go. There may be rules. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so cool because as, as a kid, you get to experience the whole big battle and it lasts all day. Mm. And they do... um. They'd even travel around with road shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was one, um, I, I remember one vividly. It was, um, it was based on a, a bridge too far. Okay. Is that a movie? That's a movie. It's a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, when the British paratroopers tried to take the Arnhem bridges and hold it against the Germans. The, um, but the board itself was, uh, it, it traveled all around the UK and you had hundreds of uh, orc storm boys and commandos mm-hmm. versus all the Imperial Guard tanks. Oh, wow, that's cool. I mean, this, this was second edition as well, so there was no chance of ever finishing this game. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't think you'd finish a turn in a day. Yeah, okay. With yeah. all the templates and weird stuff happening, and every time you moved a storm boy, you'd have to roll a dice, and you could go shooting off into the distance. And there was all oh, mad rules. Very cinematic sort of feeling. Yeah, oh, I don't, I don't like that term in game. I hate that. It's a strong word, but I I dislike it used as a defense for weird stuff happening in games. Yeah, fair enough. That makes sense. I I, I understand what people mean. It's like, oh, it really brings you into the feel of a game. Yes. To to me, it's like cinematic means scripted. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I understand. It's definitely um, based on what way you want to phrase the word, I suppose, in your head. Yeah, as you said, cinematic being put into a place that seems very like lifelike and it brings you into the immersion, or you follow the scripted route, like what you were saying as well, where it's all yeah. pre-planned and you, these are the exact angles you want and the things like that. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, choreographed might, might be a better term. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Which is fine because I kind of when I made that distinction, like, I've, I've got a 10 year old son. I'm just getting him into Warhammer. You know, it's more the, the role play sort of thing in my head. Okay. So I've, I've, we're now playing Kill Team and I'm making up rules and I'm always a bad guy because I can then make it a cinematic experience for him because I can arrange for things to happen and give him the experience he wants. But for a, like a one-on-one play, I, I don't think it's an appropriate design. Yeah. It's very immersive is probably a better word then. It seems very immersive sort of set up there. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of overlap. You could definitely put a Venn diagram on it, but there's some things that shouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you think sort of these big scale battles when you were younger kept you in the hobby? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, mean, I thought that's what 40k was. It was only uh, eight, eight years later I realised match play was a thing. It wasn't a thing back then, but, you know, tournament play. So I, I met someone um, at my first, like, real career job. Um, and he didn't really give me a choice about what I was doing that weekend because <laughs> I was going with him to Nottingham to play in the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> how did you find your first tournament experience um it was good i uh i i went to the uh one of the heats for warhammer 40k and i qualified and i didn't think I. oh very nice yeah yeah, yeah. um so that was weird it's like oh i'm actually quite good at this i think i think i did learn some bad habits as i went along because um you know con- controversially i think um it came very much more about gamesmanship rather than sportsmanship oh okay yeah yep that makes sense have you got a a few examples there you'd like to offer up um i can't remember well i I, I kind of remember one i think we call it more like the the gotcha moment now whereas um you know in games the games i played today it's uh very much more intent based Uh, so yeah an example right yes um so funnily enough in that uh heat i was playing Black Templars and I had a Vindicator, which is a, a rhino with a massive pie plate gun on it. So it can it could just take out a squad of space marines with one shot, potentially. And I was I was talking to the opponent, my opponent, before the game began, and we were talking about uh, and he had uh, he had a drop pod army. Everything could deploy via drop pods in turn one. Which is I might have been to it's not important. And he'd had the judge rule that the edge of the board was terrain. The, the the important part there was um, it's the drop pod would always stop one inch away from terrain. You know, in the in the drop pod rules itself said if it goes off the board, it's dead. Yeah, okay, which is the downfall of having the drop pods, yeah. which is meant to be the reason why you're not supposed to take a whole lot of them because they can go off the board edge. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, um, but he only told me this after I set my army up in a horseshoe with a perfect gap behind my army to put all of his drop pods in. Right, I called a judge over. Oh, yeah, that's how we've ruled it. And I literally pulled out the what you know, so some people new to the hobby might not be aware that Games Workshop haven't always been very good at releasing FAQs and errata. <laughs> um, so at this stage, there was very, very little errata, but Warhammer World did its own errata for the event, and it clearly stayed in there. The you know, the edge of the board is not terrain. And I'm showing this judge, you've already ruled it, mate, before anyone rolled dice or turned up. That this is not a thing. Oh yeah, I've ruled it that way now. Though, so you got to play it like that. Yeah, okay. That that could leave a sour taste in your mouth. That's for sure. Right. Cool. Right. So it's it's, it's one of them games. I'm <laughs> playing that guy. Yeah. Okay. Right. 
So I'm doing a lot of preamble to get to a point here, aren't I? <laughs> You're all good. <laughs> That's the idea of the podcast, is to get the personality of the person on here. <laughs> so uh, he gets the first turn, brilliant, puts his whole army down, fires a melter gun into the back of the Vindicator, only blows the gun off. And he went, oh, you may as well just take it off now because it's useless. Went, no, mate, I'm, I'm not taking it off. It's like, I can still use that. <sighs> good luck. Comes to my turn and there was a, I, I shoot enough Space Marines off and then he, he actually failed his morale test and they, he, he ran past the Rhino and he went, oh, well, that's all right because I'll auto rally. When it's not dead, mate. Oh, sorry. There was a rule. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, I, was, I, I, can, I can remember the rules perfectly from third edition um, or fourth, I think it's fourth edition. The, the fallback rules were if you failed a morale test, you fell back and you would have a chance to rally so long as you weren't within six inches of an enemy model. And you've got this dead model that's still sitting there doing stuff. Commas, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but Space Marines would auto pass because they had the, and they shall know no fear. Um, so they, so he just, he, he rolled his dice, moved the model, went, oh, well, they've auto rallied because there's no enemy models within six inches. But that's not the rule, mate. The rule is that model's alive. You don't auto rally. So in his turn, they kept running. And I shit you not, I chased this guy off the board. <laughs> And it won me the game. <laughs> These seven space marines just being gently nudged by a battle, by a, by a blown up Vindicator, just staying just at like, wow. I'm going to move five and a half inches away from you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was, he was not a happy bunny about it. That, that's what gaming was very much like. And I, I think, I think it just self reinforced itself because you kept going to events and you, you would, this, these things would happen to you. And then you know you you, you kind of, you kind of played an arms race and you would do it yourself and like going you finish one game like, I feel like an absolute twat. <laughs> oh yeah, the other hilarious one is like going if, if anyone if you ever go to a match play event and someone says they're a narrative gamer, like you're you're immediately <laughs> thinking no you're not. <laughs> that's like <laughs> playbook one hundred and one in uh, if that's their the preface. <laughs> I can definitely tell that the fact that it's... Because how long ago was that? That would have been like 2006. So something that happened 16 years ago, you can still vividly remember out of all that... Like, you've obviously probably played a few mm. hundred games in that time. This is a game that sticks out in your brain so easily. It's, it's a game that got me to qualify. So it was, it was definitely... There's a, yeah, there's... A, yeah, I think it's the human nature. You always remember the bad events and like the, the not feel-good moments rather than the... I know there's been hundreds of really good games. I do that. That one. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like that? That was a a scene thing, like you're saying, reinforcing itself. And you feel like the scenes definitely progressed and gotten a lot more friendlier and more open since then. Yes. So I'm, I'm gonna have a controversial opinion because I think it's because I play AOS now. When they burnt the old world to the ground and all the rest of it, and a lot of people moved on to other things. There was this this hardcore of actually all right guys playing AOS and they sort of went, oh, we still want to do match play. They built it from the ground up. And then um, look, some of them went off to work for GW and like took that approach with them. And you know, I think that's, um, it was a breath of fresh air, really. It's completely different um, mindset going into games. So originally I went in with the 40K mindset. You know, I've been away from the hobby for a few years. I was, I think the first match play game, I was politely taken to one side and said, dude, like I'm a really, <laughs> it was like, um, Byron Ord from the Face Hammer lot, and uh, you know we we got to set up and everything else, and he just wait. I'd say to, he just finally went like, I I kind of know what your army does, and I know what your trick is. 
is, is that what you're going to do? And, well, I don't, I don't really feel like I should tell you that. Anyway, but I know. And then he just like, saying to me what he thought I was going to do. And he was like, and, and this is how my army's going to counter it. And he was like, well, this is actually really like, because, because I kind of got off with that start. And it was like, he could see I was being a little bit standoffish. He just kind of like broke that ice and went, yeah, actually, no, this is a much better way to play. And all the, all the games of AOS, bar a couple, were all like that. And it was really, yeah, it was like, so, so much more about, um, like stating intent rather than like micromanaging, uh, Oh, but you didn't move it exactly six inches. You only moved it five point three seven. So uh, tough luck. You're not in charge range. Stuff like that, and it was like, oh, you know, this is this is much better. I'm I'm winning because I'm I'm doing the right things rather than winning because you know, I let my opponent make a mistake. Not like a tactical mistake, but a a mismeasurement when clearly they could easily do the thing they were meant to do. The, the joy of playing to intention, isn't it? Yeah, or like a. I know you just moved that model, mate, and technically that makes it the movement phase, but you kind of forgot hero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not going back though. <laughs> well, you know, um, I mean, there was that uh, there was that story a few years ago from the the forty k Nova Open or Adepticon or something with the guy who uh, was on a live stream or something, and the um, he forgot to move, forgot to set some terminators up, and went to a shooting phase, and you know it wouldn't have affected the game at all, but his opponent was like, yeah, no backsies. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, yeah, you know, it, it it even made the um the Warhammer community front page because someone donated a shitload of money to charity, saying like, yeah, because uh, like the the guy took it like an absolute champ and lost the game because of it. Where's I going? Wow, but forty k still like that then? Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah, hearing from talking to people, I know in terms of AOS and fantasy. When they burnt the old water, a lot of the diehard fantasy people went over to Ninth Age and didn't want to enjoy AOS. Uh, and then so the people that had built up the AOS scene, especially in Australia here, was the same sort of thing. It was all the friendly people that wanted to be more inclusive went to AOS. Um, and then I've not personally played or been to a 40k tournament, but just from hearing it from outside perspectives, it seems 40k is a lot more when it all costs um, or the whack, as people call it, yeah. more so than from what I've experienced at Age Sigma. That is just just going from secondhand information, and it's not, not personal information, but just looking from the outside and and hearing about it, it does seem to be that way more for forty k than AOS. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was I was um, I was forty k through and through until seventh um, edition. Um, and, you know, I, I I just didn't agree with the design choices. Um, and like the some of the stuff was just stupidly OP, and which is fine. You, know, you don't have to love every edition of the game. You know, I, I bowed out of the hobby. Then um, eighth edition came out, and I uh, I went to a small local event, and you know they actually they actually had a rule in 40k, which is if you table your opponent, you win. And I was like, well, that's just what people will default to. Yeah, if you auto win, well, then what's the point of trying to score out? You might as well just go win, win big. And um, I, I really, I really pissed someone off because I um, I kept one Necron jet bike alive, hidden behind terrain, <laughs> and I'd, I'd already outscored the guy. So I literally just bundled everything forward, and I realised he's like, he's just going to try and kill me. He's not interested in the mm -hmm. objective. Scored everything as much as I could. Oh, he completely wiped me out by this one guy who just kept zipping around till turn seven. <laughs> he, didn't, he, like, he actually had the cheat. Oh, he didn't deserve to win that. <laughs> Sorry. You're what, mate? Wow. wow. 
I beat you on points and you couldn't kill my last model. Why do I not get the win? That's crazy. <laughs> and it was like, you know what? I'm, I, 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 this is my own personal failure. You know, I, I went, no, no, no. That, that's just one bad experience. I'm, I'm, I, I still love 40K. I still love the minis. And I, I, uh, I, I bought another army because that was that was kind of an army I had left over from a from a few editions ago, and um, it's like you know you very much it's it's an inherently flawed system. Like so, if 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 it's I do everything, and then you do everything. Like well, whoever has the most guns and goes first has a huge advantage. There's there's no getting around that. So you know it just it just like right, I need to just build everything around shooting as much as I can. And, you know, I felt myself getting back into those bad old habits. And I'm going, no, this, I don't, I don't, I don't like playing like this. I don't like being played against like this. And, you know, it's like when people, I mean, I fell out with uh, some friends about it. And it's like, going, you're playing too hard. I went, yeah, but if I didn't, you'd table me. So, you know, no one's having any fun here. I'm bowing out. <laughs> yeah, that's and fair I enough. Haven't, yep. I haven't played 40k since. And that was, well, when did 8th edition came out? Twenty seventeen. Couldn't tell you. It's before my time. I think I was ninth when I sort of saw it on the shelves when I was getting into the hobby. Oh, oh so you've not been in the hobby that long? I've been in the hobby about... So I went to my first tournament was CanCon 2020. So that was January. So I did about August of 2019 was when I got in the hobby. Oh. Yeah, so only oh, fresh. <laughs> before fresh. that was gaming addiction. Gaming addiction beforehand. Oh. <laughs> Well, you obviously don't have all these hang-ups on hobby. <laughs> no, no. That, that's why it's all second-hand knowledge and coming from people that have been in the hobby for the last 20 years, which I enjoy chats like this because you learn a lot. And hence why I started the podcast was to get experiences and to learn about people and their journey through the hobby. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, sorry, it makes a bit more sense now, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hopefully, like all, all those third edition rules I, I said and have no bearing on like now at all made some sense. <laughs> I definitely understood what was going on. So if, you, if someone that never played 40K or never knew anything about those early editions, it definitely makes sense to me what was going on there. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, that, that was the last game of 40K I played and the you know, ninth edition came out. And um, it was like, yeah, we've refined this rule set, which you don't like. Okay, so I still don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and we've made every army that comes out the next OP army. Uh, yeah, and there's, there's one. AOS is exactly the same problem. I'm not going to say AOS is the different because there's still Games Workshop. They still want to make more models, more money. But that's a different story. What do you like so much about Age of Sigmar? That, is it because it's a Games Workshop game that you went to Age of Sigmar or you just really enjoy the fantasy setting and the models and stuff like that over other tabletop games? Oh, I... Because I move around a lot with work, and I like I do like match play. You you may think not after some of the comments I've just made. <laughs> it's because I can uh, I can pretty much go anywhere and get a game of it. So there are better games. There is no doubt about that. Um, there might even be games that appeal more to me, but I can get lots of games of this. Um, I enjoy the community that goes with it. So yeah, that's that's the big set. Um, the models are fantastic. Is I mean, just some of them just blow you away. Yeah, they're ridiculous. You said a keyword that seems to have popped up, I think, in every episode of my podcast, which is community. Everyone seems to come back to like the communities, what keeps them in the hobby and what keeps them enjoying in the game and the friends they made along the way, as the saying goes. Yes. Um, I mean, I've got the privilege of um, 
I, I set up a, a gaming club, which is still going uh, strong after a good few years. So I've got that little little community. Um, also, where I, I, I live at work during the week. Uh, so there's another little gaming community there. And they're absolutely fantastic. But, you know, I, I, I've seen some really bad communities as well. When I, when I worked in a different place, I was basically kicked out for playing AOS. Wow, okay. I always find this people, they're just like, they, just, they give that reaction and then it's like, nah, you can't really have been something pretty much. That's ridiculous. That, that's not part of a community you want to be a part of, is it? It was, it was, it was weird. So, you know, they, they were, they were fought, absolutely through and through 40k, fine. But they, they were that crowd, you know, you mentioned earlier, you had the, the, the cool guys who went and did AOS and you had the people who whinged and did something else when they burnt the old world. So these guys all went off to do Kings of War. And, you know, like, I mean, I'll be playing uh, against a really cool guy called um, Jake, who's now part of Tabletop Tactics. I've not heard of his name, no. I'm not a massive bat report person. I, I, that doesn't appeal to me for some reason. But uh, I've not heard of his name, no. Um, he'd be a cool guy to chat to, actually. Yeah, so we'd, like, we'd, we'd, we'd just play one game of AOS. This was pre-General's Handbook. We were sort of just making up from other rules. And, and, you know, just walked past and went, you, you need a... Oh, I can't even remember the fucking top bands they came out with. <laughs> it was like, yeah, cheers, mate. And just like, let them walk on. And they were getting really snobby. Like, they'd, um, oh, someone, I mean, oh, Kings of War is a weird scene. So, uh, they still have a rule which says you don't actually have to have models on the base. So it's, it's like old school fantasy battle, but you just have like a tray and it's just when you can just literally put a bit of paper on there saying like there's 10 guys because you don't do, wow, okay. you don't do model removal. So, you know, like, yeah, it's a diorama sort of setup, isn't it? Yeah, which I think was the intent, which is cool. And a lot of people do that. But some people took the piss and like going, um, mate, you just bought a bucket of rubber monsters from the pound shop and glued them on some square bases. It's a lizardman army. Mm, it's a piss take. So, yeah, yeah, and, and someone put that on the group and said, oh, is this AOS? I went, oh, that's a big... And you know what? It's like, it just, I just fucking got fed up of it. And I went, well, I, I, I ran away AOS and AOS event for them. Okay, so we're going to take all the money you've raised and we're going to buy 40k train with it. Uh, no, no, mate, I didn't, I didn't run an event for you. I ran an event for me so I can get some decent stuff because your train looks like ass. And that turned into a big argument. They basically are saying I can't play anywhere, so you just left. I mean, they had, they had, other, they had other problems as well. Like, they couldn't understand that like, the, the whole cost to rent this club was more than what they were getting off the players. All right, what, what we fundamentally have here is you're going to run out of money. And I did, like, I'm not an accountant or anything, but it's, like, really basic. In 18 months, you're going to run out of money if you carry on like this. Yeah, okay. Well, we've worked out as uh, 24 months. I went, no, 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 because I'm going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's, that's a significant portion of the money you're getting. And I'm going to take my mates with me because they ain't going to want to play here either because you're just being assholes. We'll see. I mean, they were gone a year later, so. <laughs> Imagine that they've worked out how much money and how long they can last before they need to leave a club. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a, it's a really weird situation. Like I'm, I'm, yeah, you know, I am a paradox in that I, I killed their club by like trying to play AOS and get more people involved, but they kicked me out before I could do any of that. But somehow it's still my fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, to this day, like I still can't fully comprehend what happened, what the train of thought was. It's just because it's a Kings of War player, mate. Never. <laughs> all, all the listeners that have now played King of the War are all gone. <laughs> oh, 
I'm going to get some interesting emails, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> I've even got the rule book over there. Oh, dear. So you've actually played Kings of War. Did you enjoy the game? It's all right. It is what it is. It's not my personal. I, I don't much like square bases, but it's all right. But it's, it's not the game. It's the I've, I've heard it's a decent game. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. It's definitely if you have a crowd that's hostile towards certain games, like you don't want to be around that sort of crowd. Like the tabletop wargaming should be inclusive no matter what they play or anything in like the, I think the overall nerd genre, be it magic or any card games, like all that should be welcome in a gaming space. Yeah, I think there's um, there's always that fine line between bullying and banter, isn't there? Yes, there is, yeah. Yeah. Um... And you know that that you know you're only ever going to find that line with familiarity. Yeah, being a part of a, a community that's welcoming and you've been there for a while, you can get away with the banter yeah. without it being too over the top. <laughs> what what's sort of your local gaming community at the moment that you're a part of? Then, um, so yeah, um, I'm in the same weirdly, I'm in the same area as Darren, but we okay. game in different places. The joy of uh, a country that plays. And has a lot of tabletop war gamers. Yeah, it's um, you know, like the yeah, yeah, looking at the internet, like the Americans and yourselves, like, oh, we've got we got to drive two hours to get a game. Fucking hell, mate! I could throw a stone and get a game here. <laughs> <laughs> you walk down the street, Yo, you play Warhammer. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm alright. Yeah, all right, cool. Yeah. yeah, that's so cool. Oh, so yeah, um, like the the area me and Darren are from. Um, so we've got uh, we've got Solar War Gamers, which is the club I help. Um, we've got Haven, which is about five miles away. There's uh, the Pompey Pirates, which are five or six miles away. Then we've got free gaming stalls. <laughs> uh, the, the university has a club. Wow, okay. And, you know, they're just the ones off the top of my head. I'm, I'm sure there's more. There must be more. Yeah. That's, w- that's wild to have that much of a scene, because at the moment, we've got a gaming store that's sort of got a slight franchise to them. I can tra- I've got to travel 25 minutes south to one of them or 20, 25 minutes north the other, and then the rest are about an hour away or so. But they're all the same gaming group um, generally, uh, which is not – because it's a 50-minute between either store, um, that's the scene. Like there's no one past that southern store. There's nothing else for probably 10 hours or eight hours. Jeez, and that's because you're going from like a like – a, a city down to all country down to Sydney of a city. So you've got quite a large gap there that I don't know of any gaming stores in between. Uh, and then you've just got Brisbane, which is a, a major metropolitan area, which has quite a few gaming stores. Yeah, we're all in a straight line. But to hear that you are um, you have like three or four gaming clubs within 10 kilometres or so is wild to hear. <laughs> None of them are undersubscribed as well. So you, know, you, you asked a question earlier, what, what kind of gamer I am? And um, I think at the moment I've um, I've sort of pivoted toward the the painting aspect more because I don't have the I mean the I I, I just listened to Darren's interview um, yeah, but, yeah <laughs> he, he has this fantastic ability to just like oh, I'm going to pick uh, that unit that unit that unit put an army together and then yeah. smack you off the table and it's like dude come on <laughs> 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 Jesus Christ. <laughs> So I, I can't do that. Um, so, you know, I, I, need to, I need to get those reps in, sort of like memorise it, right, the play for this is, the play for that is, and yeah, Darren's right, then, then he'll turn up with something completely offbeat and then smash everyone off the table because, like, who uses bloody Shadow Warriors? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not giving anything away there, by the way, that was just the first 
you know, I haven't seen in a while that popped into my head. So yeah, I'm one of those. Um, so I, I try and go, I try now go to get the, uh, the painting awards. Okay. How have you gone with your painting awards then? I, I can't see any, I don't think you've got your awards trophy behind you there, but I can see you looking around. So I'm sure you've got a nice big setup. Oh, very nice. That's cool. And a sneaky purple sun to boot. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, he's been up there for since I've painted him years ago. You should use him right now. I heard he's really. I heard it's really good. People love playing against it. I oh, know. See, I'm. I've. I've. I'm using the other dirty trick and the spell, which is the soul seeker. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, latch on. Yep. Yeah, that's him. Because um, I, I had the. Pre- oh, I can't remember his name now. Ah, the guy who took Legion of the First Prince to um, AOS World. There's too many in the name. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, On the England team you're talking about? Yes. Yes, yeah. Um, so I, I played that army in the Hampshire GT in the first round. Brilliant. And, you know, you like tabled me in turn two. Like, Jeebus Christ. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, you know, it's just, it was no part of it was feel bad. You know, I, I was just in awe of what this guy did. It was like, okay. That is just like the the perfect unit selection, the the orders, and it was just so technical. I've actually built the army based. I netlisted. Yeah, I'm not scared to say. <laughs> That's how you get good. I've spoken to a bunch of uh, very competent war gamers, and they're all about netlist. Just netlist and go from there. So you're in good hands then with a the netlist. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it was an homage. There we go. <laughs> I saw it. I played against it. I suffered against it, and now I want to play it against someone else. Yeah, so I, I put it all together, and I was just like, it was. Yeah, you know, I, I, I played it down now. So, like, so I've, I've got a really good uh, community down at Solon, and they just they they want to get really hard into match play. And I I put this uh, first Prince Army together, and they were like, it's not been beaten yet, but everyone's trying so hard, just trying to build their armies around beating it. But you know, it's also like telling them like, I'm not a good player. I'm just a small guy with a big gun. <laughs> <laughs> but what's nice about doing that is you're leveling up your whole gaming group to then challenge themselves and you later on when they've worked out the techniques and the list building ideas behind getting around and beating a top tier list. Once they get that sort of thinking in their brain, they're then able to apply that to future lists and future gaming decisions to then improve their gaming in general. Yeah, so um, you're absolutely right because um, there's nothing worse than the unknown. So like, if you've if you've never had to play against Bellacor and have like one of your best units shut down for a couple of rounds, or uh, Kairos like there like going, just like just keeping in the back of your mind he can shut down a charge or a casting just when you need it to work. Marathi rolls a a seven to cast and she's got two mortal wounds left or two wounds left. Give her a miscast yeah. and then. She's dead. <laughs> and if you're not thinking about it, well, then you might choose not to even cast a spell. But if you haven't been aware of it and not thinking about it at all, you'll cast that spell and you'll be caught out by it because you have not thought about the consequences of being able to change one dice. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm going to remember that for next time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel I've that trick yet, so uh, I'll definitely do that. You'll have time. to. When you kill that vital wizard that they're not thinking about, it might even just be because obviously getting the the two mortal wounds on the D three might not be the case, but being able to pop off that extra last wound that they've not thought about from being a, a miscast or something, brilliant. Oh, it's it's um it's Kairos's spell as well, which can do six mortal wounds flat out. And uh, I 
I played a good mate, and uh, two games in a row, he put his five in general out in the oh, open. No. <laughs> he was like, what did I do last time you did this? You killed my general. What am I going to do? Fuck's sake. <laughs> I turned it into a spawn and you lost the game because you had to be stuck around this stupid thing. They'll learn eventually. <laughs> they will learn. Pain assisted yeah. learning. <laughs> yeah. What what yeah. aspects do you enjoy in most about the hobby aspect? Well I um so I suffered an eye injury about seven years ago and I've um I've completely lost a central vision in one eye. Okay, so, that's um, not good to hear. No, it's not ideal. Um <laughs> So it's weird stuff like um, you don't know, you don't realize how much you miss depth perception <laughs> until you try and play. Is there a way for someone that hasn't experienced it to not visualize because that obviously doesn't work at all? But sort of, <laughs> is it like sort of like blocking one eye off and you lose your depth perception because you've only got the one eye, or what sort of it's relative to? So the best way I can compare it is: um, do you have like a crazy glazing in your bathroom windows? Yes, yes, the, the like essentially the frosted glass. Yes, and that that rippled glass. Yeah, rippled glass. Yeah, right. Take a sheet of that and hold it over your right eye. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's my vision. <laughs> right here. Okay. So it's, it's there, but it's all yeah distorted, and uh, and say the, the the very central point. You know, if you, if you held like out like a dinner plate at arm's length, right, that area of my vision has gone. Yeah, okay. So you, you can see just the outside of that dinner plate in peripherals. And it's all fuzzy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. How does that affect your hobby then? How, how have you gotten around it hobby-wise? I, I had to, you know, that coincided when I took a break from the hobby and when I got back into it, I realised I had to learn another way to do depth perception. So all the painting I'd learned before didn't work. So now when people see me painting, I sort of angle in with the brush on a pivot and I've sort of got to, I've got to wiggle it around so my my good eye has more than one point of reference most people will paint like that like a pencil again this is fantastic podcast material <laughs> <laughs> it's of, of all the things to have that we're, we're going to try and explain eyesight <laughs> in a podcast but I think it's if we can get it out well it might help someone that does struggle in the hobby as well which is brilliant to sort of put out there I think because I know a lot of people do struggle with um, disabilities and not being able to hobby when they really want to. Um, so if we can come at it with a good way to explain a visual thing in an audio medium, we're doing well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, essentially, I, uh, by like holding the mimic from my left hand and I just sort of rotate it around with my uh, right hand sort of cupped into it, I can get those multiple points of reference I need to get depth perception and okay. get paint in the right place. And then uh, because you've obviously gone around it quite well because you've obviously got painting trophies you had up before and you're also a commission painter so i mean you've clearly um <laughs> found a way around it yeah it's one of those weird things like i think if you know you know, i mean the history is full of people like they're, they're given a limitation or like a hard ceiling they say you know fuck that and find another way to get there you know i'm, I'm not one of those people but i've you know I've, my my passion is painting and i found a way around to get to where i need to be and you know maybe one day i'll enter a proper painting competition well, I think that the fact that you have trophies and you are a commission painter, I think you can say you said fuck that and got around it. <laughs> so I think you are one of those people. You you might sell yourself a bit short there. You're definitely um oh, you're like a um an inspiration to the hobby to hear that you've gotten around having an issue with your eye that's vital in hobbying uh, to then come out with some excellent work. Well, thank you.
You're welcome. <laughs> what sort of, so you got out of the hobby for a bit and you got into doing more painting side of it later on. Why did you feel you wanted to take it, it to a more hobbying aspect rather than a gaming aspect, considering you had issues with your eyes as well? It was, um, you know, maybe it's a bit mental healthy, but, you know, I can just really zone out, not think about anything else and just paint and produce something and it's you know it's that satisfaction of like it's not just it's not just a done and gone and a fleeting moment you can always look back at it and go i'm really proud of that or you know i could do better next time for me that's an important part of it um you know the gaming thing like I, i've like we talked about earlier i remember the bad ones I'm <laughs> yeah. really good ones so like is that yeah okay is that helping me i don't think it is yeah so I, i've taken a, a step back from that whole like really intense match play i mean you know, the, the guys who do it and win the best side they 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 pour their heart and soul into it and more power to them if that's if you know they're getting what they want out of that that's brilliant me i'm quite happily i'll, I'll push around the middle on bottom tables and hopefully get a painting nomination or a painting award i mean just but if you've if you've seen some of the homie coming out of england at the moment it's just phenomenal i'm really gonna have yeah, to watch the game to uh to start <laughs> competing there the um the gargants wading through water and stuff, you know, that's that's just cute compared to some of the um, <laughs> yeah. Like the uh, I can't remember the name of it. The the Archeon with all the OSL. Oh yeah, is it the, the lava OSL? The whole lava yeah. That's uh, an amazing army. Right, that's gonna that, that's gonna take some beating. Yeah. Oh even like one that's popped up a few times is the Samurai OBR. Where he's converted oh, everything Lloyd, into yeah. yeah into cherry blossoms and all that sort of stuff. Like I've not seen it up close, but from photos, it looks absolutely amazing. Just sort of the the depth to it all, like just the the effects and the conversions looks brilliant. Yeah, he's really gone well on that. And the um, did you see his beast claw raiders? Um, they were frost horns, but they were crabs. Oh, I think I have. Yeah, I think I have. Yeah, they were the 3D printed crabs. They weren't yet. They the. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 3D printing is adding so much to the hobby. I can see you've got one in the background yeah. there, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I've got multiple. I've got a plastic one and a resin one. I thoroughly enjoy my 3D printing. They're definitely a a helpful addition to the hobby, and they definitely extend what you're able to get out of the hobby. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm looking at getting a 3D printer. Oh, sorry, a resin one. I've got an F, uh, a PLA printer. FDM? FDM, yes. Yeah. yeah. The resin ones are brilliant. And if you've had issues with the FDM one, there's not issues for the resin one. I literally pulled it out of the box, plugged it in, poured resin in, and printed it off first go. Wow. Um, okay. I've had issues later on where I've put in models that weren't supported properly, but that was my own issue or rushing things and stuff like that. Um, but the resin printers are nearly like plug and play. Cool. That's good to know. Yeah, I am. Um... Uh, and that yellow thing behind me is the wash and cure because I've got a red one. Yep. Brilliant audio again. <laughs> if you get a resin printer, definitely get the wash and cure station. Yes. I would not do it without it because that is the single-handedly the best thing for resin printing because it gets it out of getting it all over your hands and stuff like that. It has a way to wash your models and then it has a way to cure them on a three D spin, a 360 spinner. Right. I would highly recommend that. They're not fully cured when they come out, the uh, Prince Rider. No, you've got to cure them either in sunlight or you've got to make up some hodgepodge nail cure machine thing, or you get that. I'll get that. So it's either, yeah, it's either a bunch of homemade gobbledygook with trying to cure things and clean things and stuff like that, 
or you just get an all-in-one machine that does it all for you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, I'd get that. But um, I wanted to go back a little bit because uh, it came up in the conversation earlier. You commission painting. How did you get into doing commission painting then? Oh, I mean, I think most people who um sort of make a nice-looking army or a couple of miniatures sort of get asked to, oh, could you paint something for me at some point? Um, you know, no, no, no. Some people say no. Some people say yes. I suppose. Um, it's whether or not you spin that off into a business. So, um, yeah, I thought I could. I'm, I'm due to retire shortly, sort of semi-retired. Um, I was thinking that could potentially be a way forward as commission painting. So I've, uh, I've started uh, about a year ago. I mean, I've done little commissions before that, but nothing major. But now I'm trying to put myself out there. But it's it's weird. It's a very strange economy. But yeah, I, I, I just, I mean, I can, I can paint armies in a couple of weeks and get it out there. So um, what I wanted my niche to be was fast and decent looking. Um, and also some, some would say not that expensive. Darren's told me off for this. <laughs> I'm underselling. Yeah, but, well, it's because Darren's been told off multiple times by other people is his issue. <laughs> and some, some, I, I, I get lots of inquiries and then I sort of, I send a general info back which is £15 an hour and probably about a two-month turnaround. You know, if you want it faster, then you've got to pay more, basically, because I've got to put all my little projects to one side and finish your army. And uh, people either don't respond or say, well, that's expensive. Well, that, that does not sound expensive at all. It's like, okay, it depends how much you think I can get done for £15 an hour for a start. And I'm working for less than minimum wage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone asked me to paint a um, one of the Mega Gargans. He's like, uh, he's an American. Oh, how much would it cost to uh, paint one of these for me? And he went, right, so it will be, I think it's weird. That, that, it would, that, you know, because of the, um, the water effects take longer. If it was just a gargan, it would be less. But he specifically wanted the water effect and the boat and the guy in it. Right, it's going to be about 20 hours, mate. <laughs> nah. But what, what do you think it would take? Like, I can't just like, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's, there's... <laughs> people definitely don't seem to realize like what time frame things take, and then how much they should pay. Because my girlfriend, she does um commission artwork. Oh, and she's wow. forever having to quote people, but they yeah, don't respond or they think it costs too much because they don't realize the time and effort that goes to into these things. They're not just a quick pump and dump it out, and you're good to go on to the next one. Like they've got a, there's a whole planning stage and you've got to make sure it's up to your standard and getting it done correctly. Otherwise, what's the point of doing it? And then they just get frustrated or think it's you, you, you're um, charging them out the ass for it, essentially. So, yeah, it's very odd, like creatives um, having to price things. Like um, there's nothing so undervalued as someone's time, I think. I mean, that's something that you can never get back. No. So, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. That, you know, Darren's a prime culprit for that. He will spend, you know, his his whole uh, coaching approach. So um, so normally if you paid for like a personal trainer for an hour, that'd be 15 to 20 pounds. But you know what? They, they have a pre-scheduled go-to, right? You want to hit your body weight on the deadlift. Uh, you want to hit these other goals very specific. And the, and the coach will come in and go, right, to do that, you need to do X, Y, Z, this training program. Um, let's see where you are in a month. 
And that is about an hour's work for them because, you know, the human body's weird. Like, we all have one and they're all more or less the same. So they always react to the same stimulus. Um, so that's not actually like a great deal of work. The research that went into it, though, was all these... Well, the 10 years experience that they put into it as well yeah. to know how to get that out and done very quickly. Yeah. Whereas, you know, people are paying for an hour of Darren's time via Zoom or two hours or wherever else, but what they're not paying for is them, him stopping in the middle of a shopping trip, having a 15-minute sit-down, and then like a brain aneurysm. Yep. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I finally figured that out. And then um, his, his girlfriend's looking at him like, fucking dickhead. <laughs> I think you mean fiancé now. Fiance. Oh, is he engaged now? I must have missed that <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's t- time and payment for actual physical time is very um people don't value it nearly enough no but then if you to turn the tables around and ask them what they would charge per hour it would probably be more than what you're asking potentially yeah so it, it, it depends what you what you want from it because it's uh, uh, an important lesson i've learned from life and my, my job especially is i output is 80% mindset so you know what you can go off and you can buy your net list of homage army uh, you, you can read Bella Lost Souls articles or, or who reads blogs anymore um, or Twitter or <laughs> watch YouTube battle reports and you can turn up with the mindset of well I've seen this being used I have it I'm now going to win and then they get smashed off the table because there is no they're not they don't have the mindset to win because they haven't engaged with the medium. But they haven't like okay, it, this is going to sound like putting the reps in sort of conversation, but it's not because it's it's all it's all about deliberate practice. So before you even think about using them, you need to know the rules in a fundamental way. You have to understand how the missions work, and that's before you even put a model on the table. I know in this scenario, this is how you win it. I know some scenarios have that more than others. And then, yeah, it's like practicing with your army, but practicing, like, you could play 100 games with the best net list against the local idiot with Stormcast Eternal starter set. Was any of that useful? Maybe for, like, like the order of spells, but you're, you're, you're getting no, no feedback, really. It's all output. And then, yep. like, you could play one game against Aaron. You'll learn as much. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's worth 300 reps because he's like, and he'll quite happily explain to you, and I've won because in turn one, da, 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 and the chain of consequences. Um, so it's it's not about the reps. It's about finding that oppo- opponents that can push back and teach you. Uh, yeah, so going back to that, the army I'm pushing around at the moment, I'm bringing everyone else up by them having to play it. Um, like, I, if I wanted to improve, I'm not improving my game by doing that. I'm not becoming a better person or a better player, sorry. I would have to go off and play Darren or the My Hills. Yeah, so, so I, I played probably 10 games of it. How many of those did I learn anything? The first three, once I got the rhythm. But Okay, now anything past that now I'm not really getting anything so it's it's boring almost <laughs> yeah because um, you know you can only play the same people so many times you know like if if they're not upping their game 
then you're not really getting anything from it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. We're not too sure what that was linking into. I thought it went off in a ramble. <laughs> Um, where did we come from that? <laughs> we've, got, we've got to follow the trail back to where we were. <laughs> oh, it was, it was making the most use of your time yeah. with your commission painting. And then obviously we'd led into making more efficient use of time in regards to armies and stuff like that. So, yeah, I was, I was relating it back to gaming because I imagine more people are gamers listening to this rather yes. than painters. Yes, yeah. the majority of them are gamers, yes. Yes, so... um. Yeah, deliberate practice, going out there, um, not, I mean, uh, I mean, no, I've, I've sort of learned how to paint twice. So yeah, I started by listening to the Duncan Rhodes uh, painting tutorials on um, the Warhammer channel and all the rest of it. Okay, that's very good for heavy metal standard. Well, not even heavy metal standard, sorry, because he's not an heavy metal painter. A good tabletop standard. And then, like, I, I still think if you want to learn how to paint Games Workshop miniatures in a Games Workshop style, buy a box of Space Marines, follow their painting guides, because you will learn so much with edge highlighting, how to do a chunky one, how to do the thinner inner one, how to understand, like, because um, people think of Space Marines as quite um, blocky. There's actually a lot of curves on them. So then you can also start... Yeah, those, those shoulder pads. <laughs> yeah. Even the toes. There's no hard edge Oh, yeah, I suppose, yeah, yep. And the, um, the kneecaps. Yeah. Yeah, gonna, that's a classic one, the old, the, the bally kneecaps. <laughs> yeah. So if you can learn brush control on those, you can, I, just, uh, I, I, I recommend anyone, like, I'm an AOS player, I still say learn how to paint a space room. If you try and learn how to paint a Stormcast, it, it doesn't have the same shapes. And also you're learning to paint with metallics, which are different. You need, you need different things with metallics. I hate metallics, personally. Do you then paint non-metallic metal, or do you just go with straight metallics and... Depends what I'm feeling, how lazy I'm being. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I do paint metallics. Um, I, I never feel like they could. They look as good as they could do. If it's a like a it, well, space marine, another classic example. Most space marines, the only metal areas are really the, the bolt gun barrel, uh, the receiver at the back, the top rail, and some bits on the backpack. And it's like, do I need to paint this metallic, or can I paint it grey? And give it a white highlight. Will that look about the same? Yeah, about three foot away on the table. No one will notice. Sometimes it's giving the idea of something metallic rather than being metallic. Like I'm, I'm not a massive fan of non-metallic metal on the tabletop because it doesn't. If you hold it at the wrong angle, it will look wrong. It's yeah, it's designed to be photographed from a specific angle, or a little bit either way. But then, if you looked at the back, it wouldn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Technically, that should be in darkness, or you'd have to have multiple yeah. light sources, and then you know, like exploding diagrams coming out of the head. <laughs> yeah. Algorithms. Yeah. Would you say that's one of your tips then for being able to get our armies done nice and quick? Is the perception of metallics being on there rather than actual metallics? Well, I think it's a secret to all miniature painting is it's perception. It's all a trick of the mind. Because, you know, why do we edge highlight? You can clearly see there's an edge. You don't need to highlight it to know it's there. It's... Oh, but it looks better if it's highlighted. If you had a life-size space marine and you painted it blue, you wouldn't edge highlight it. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> it, the, the, it would look wrong, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about tricking the mind. Skit, uh, bone. That can be a weird one. So most people just like, well, I'm going to paint it sort of a creamy white because that's bone colour. 
but if you painted it grey, it will blend in better with, say, reds. Because although they're both warm tones, the grey one blends in more. And um, I'd say like it wouldn't look right if it didn't if it wasn't highlighted. But then you look at reds and yellows, and they're best if they're not highlighted. Yeah, because the the highlighting for them just turns them pinky and yeah. So you, and it doesn't work right because you can't really saturate them enough to get the color brightness there. That's right. And then um, so what you have to do is shade, like shading with blues and purples for red, and ochres for yellow. Or use um, sort of zen- uh, yellows. You just use uh, zenithals. But the tip is use a pink, like a pink zenithal. <laughs> yeah, that's wants to get really bright yellow. Um, so when I paint, if I if I had a yellow miniature to paint, I would undercoat everything black and then do like grey almost all the way around, then white on the very top of the light source, and then I'd dry brush everything white as well, and then I'd fire uh, a yellow contrast through an airbrush. Done. Maybe white edge highlighting very on the very tips of things, um, but yeah, yeah, yellow. Then yeah, yellow. You don't really shade. Yellow's a weird one. Everyone hates yellow. <laughs> yeah, it's because like everything's nearly got blue in it that you don't think has blue in it. Like most of your black and grey primers have blues in them, mm. so your yellow doesn't cover very well because the blue shows through from the undercoat, and you have issues with all of that. And then, so unless you're getting rid of it with your flesh tones or your warmer colors before your yellow, it just doesn't look right. I think people's main issue is it looks like a desaturated, dirty yellow more than the bright yellow they wanted. You could, you could go off to university and learn about color theory and everything else. And um, how much is that relatable to miniature painting? Um, it's, yeah, mini, miniature painting is like, it's, it's, it's all about tricking the eye. Like if you, you know, so you, know, you can also use psychology. Like if you look at a person, what's the first thing you look at? Normally their face. So paint a fantastic face. Other weird ones. Every, <laughs> it, there, there's a recurring theme in most best painted armies is they have snow bases. Not because snow's hard to achieve or not dramatic looking. It's because you you're giving your miniature a white background, so you can actually yeah that makes sense. And you get that fantastic silhouette. Now, if you want to go down the grimdark style and like a Zorn palette where you um, you know don't have blues and everything's a really subdued colour, then you have to do the bases the same and then everything just melds together and you don't get those classic silhouettes and it just looks like a streaky pile of mud. Yeah, because everything's got that muddy tone to it, essentially. If you actually looked at the miniatures and went, oh, that's fantastically painted, and then you've got an averagely painted army of white miniatures, most players in a player voted sort of um best painting competition will pick the, the white base ones because they look cleaner because that's immaculate white and they got the good silhouette um which is what draws the eye so that so i suppose what i'm really talking about here is um metagaming painting competitions <laughs> <laughs> we've gone from metagaming in tournaments to metagaming in the painting scene <laughs> which is a whole other level. <laughs> That's what I've noticed because I, I enjoy painting my armies to a nice standard. But when you're up close in your face, you think they look quite eye-catching, but until you bring them back three feet away is my main issue. Is because I like paint all the cloth and all the leathers all different colours to make them all stand out amongst each other. But then you can't see that from three feet, so none of that pulls your eye. And the only thing that I've really put effort into in my last army, which is my soul white one, was using a lot of pinks. 
So it pinks in the eyes, pinks in like flames and stuff to try and pull the eye from a distance. And a lot of people comment that that's my best painted army. But to me, I've rushed it because I went for a grim dark with a very vibrant pink to pull it out, pull that vision in. Um, yeah, that's basically my zombie horde. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's my zombie horde too. <laughs> um, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, so so my top tips are, yeah, if you if you think you've highlighted enough, highlight a bit more. <laughs> yep. We've got these fantastic painting rigs with the uh, the LED bulbs. They've got this this fantastic light setup when you're actually painting the miniature and everything looks perfect. Well, what I want listeners to do is like, well, you turn your lamp off, go into a normally lit room, like say, for example, exactly how your gaming hall might look, <laughs> store, and then have a look at those crispy highlights again and see if they're popping quite as much because I don't think they will be. Um, so yeah, and that's that, coming from a. a- an award-winning painter. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, yeah. Was, well, I've, I've, I've sussed a few tricks and tips. Um, and that's where uh, fluoro paints come in handy as well. Mine was a fluoro pink. <laughs> exactly. So that's, that's just going to absorb any ambient light and bounce it back. So um, that's why yeah. they, they will look even even um, even more shiny. And you can get fluoro whites now. Just... How does how's a fluoro white work then? Um, it's, it's unpigmented, so... It's um, it was just, it, it was exactly the same consistency as a fluoro pink or yellow or blue. Okay. Just mix it with a little bit of white ink for body, and then you can just use it for an edge highlight, and it will just. Oh, okay, Rodio, the ultimate white highlight. Or um, what I've used it for is uh, on a plasma gun, so you could, like I say, spray white ink over the plasma coils, throw a bit of pink fluoro pink over the top, and then you can uh, dilute the fluoro white and use it as a wash. And it will glow. Ah, yes. Yep. Ah, very nice. The, the cheats you can get from a commission painter. In fact, the, uh, I, I painted a, um, one of those McFarlane Space Marines. And he has a plasma pistol. Is that one of the larger ones? That's one. That's a seven-inch figure. Um, and that just looks phenomenal now. Yeah, I bet when you can get stuff like that out of it as well to make him stand out and pop out there for you. Yeah, so that, that's my top tip. Just highlight. Okay. Highlight no another level. <laughs> just keep highlighting until you can't highlight no more well we might we might as well wrap up the show here then yes uh, we've gone on for a very long time <laughs> sorry about that which is nice no no you, that, that's the whole point of the show is to get as much information out of the guests as possible um, so it's been nice really having you on Tony is there anything you want to leave the listeners with before we let you go here oh uh, a great philosophic rambling um, <laughs> oh dear um, yes highlight more there we go <laughs> I like more. <laughs> just yeah, just um, take take your miniatures out if you if you want to get good at painting, or you want to win painting awards. Put your army on a on a little black cloth or something in normal light, normal indoor lighting, and then just have okay. an honest appraisal and say, "Is this eye popping?" Because if you're not gonna if you're not gonna draw people in with that first look, chances are you're not gonna get a proper appraisal. Um, against someone who hasn't, who has done that. There you go. Yeah, fair enough. And make sure my issue at the last tournament was I didn't realise to have done it. They were in the back corner facing a wall, so uh-huh. no one's gonna. Lazy. <laughs> because it was just where the t- yeah, it was just where the 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 table was, and I just they were facing the wall. So unless you walked into that sort of back edge, you were never going to see them in the first place. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
make sure they're in an eye-catching area as well and not facing away from people walking towards them. Yes. Yeah, that's some good advice. <laughs> well, have you got any shout-outs here before we end the show then? Oh, God. Um, yes, everyone at Silent Wargamers and the Hampshire Hammerers. Yeah, fantastic group. What sort of area is that in if people were listening in that region of the UK? Uh, Hampshire. Hampshire, okay. I suppose Hemp's the name. <laughs> but they're, they're a Winchester club, really. But they called themselves Hampshire. Okay. All right. No worries. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Tony. It was brilliant to chat with you and learning some painting tips and then just learning a little bit the, about the UK scene and especially in the earlier days as well. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And it's, uh, it's been lovely chatting. You too. Catch you later. Enjoy the rest of your sunny day there. Yes, I will. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> Catch you later. Thank you for listening to Unidentified Wargamer. You can find links for the guests located in the description below. You can find the show on Twitter at U underscore Wargamer. And I will see you next week.